And welcome to an emergency, none more emergency uh, edition of Romaniacs, because like Theresa May, we refuse to quit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, been, a, it's been a day full of uh, outrageous news and confusion. Is May's deal dead? Is May's premiership dead? Is this the worst political crisis since the dawn of time? <laughs> I'm going to start by, um, by asking Ian to... Um, to run down the most significant, obviously the most significant event of the day was the resignation of that minister that nobody had ever heard of <laughs> right at the beginning. Does anyone for five so points? Can anyone? There we go. Um, but what else mattered? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, OK, so for me, it was it was that Commons debate was actually unlike any Commons debate I've seen in my life, really. Um, she was just it felt like every minute another slice of support just got taken away. So obviously there wasn't... The, the Labour guys in front of her were, were, were giving a shit. Mm. But just behind her, the vitriol and aggression was worse, actually, mm. than what was coming from in front. And you were sort of thinking, you know, from Remainer Tories to Brexit Tories, you had Jacob Rees-Mogg. I've got it, I hand it to him, actually delivered his little cutting, stabbing motion in a quite an effective way. And he just sort of sat there. And after, I mean, it took, I can't remember how long it was. I think it was about 45 minutes before anyone said even one positive sentence about what she'd done. So by then, all of these months that we've sat around this table going, will she be able to pass that deal through Parliament? You just looked at it and you're like, she's definitely no, not passing no. that thing yeah. through Parliament. And it was just this moment of like, I, I have never seen a Prime Minister look so alone. It's incredibly dramatic, incredibly striking. How does it, I mean, actually, obviously you're very young, uh, so you wouldn't remember this. <laughs> but a I mean, relative uh, statement. <laughs> how, how does this compare to, um, to the downfall of, of Thatcher? Does it look... Because I seem to remember with Thatcher, there was still a chance. It was almost the reverse, because it seemed like right till the point where she actually stepped down, it seemed that she could stay. Hmm. Whereas with May, even as she's staying, it feels like she's already stepped down. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not really sure what the precedent for this is. I don't think there is one. Um, The the difference, and it is a fundamental one, is that in the equivalent moment with Thatcher you saw a a sort of a fairly majestic lioness being brought down, while here you have a sort of, (laughs) you have a sort of, uh, uh, you know, bleeding, uh, miserable ferret that's been through (laughs) the wash cycle twice (laughs) and has already lost two limbs, sort of being shot with an air gun. (laughs) Like death becomes pellet her, by pellet. Won't die. <laughs> I think the other interesting thing about the debate was it was uh, the the day that we saw as a campaign the narrative really shift among those wavering Labour MPs that I think the Tory whips were counting on to vote with the government mm-hmm. pretty unanimously line up today to say not going to happen. Mm-hmm. This isn't for us. Yep. Uh, so that, that was a big, important shift today. The whole mood of everything I felt was shifting today. Like, I mean, hey, uh, Theresa May is obviously doing it for her own reasons, right? But she keeps on saying, if you don't do this, then there's a chance we'll have to remain. And you keep on thinking, like, are you sure you want to keep on raising that as a possibility? Yeah. Because you've been quite clear that that should, you know, would never would be. Mm. And then I started hearing it a bit from the way that journalists were talking. They started talking about another referendum in a much more... Uh, re- realistic ways if it was something that really could take place. Because, of course, we know how this works, right? You, if you vote down that deal, then there's basically three options. There's really sort of, you know, general election or no confidence thing. 
Oh, there's no deal with those people's vote. And and suddenly that became like a like a viable outcome and was talked about without that smirking condescension that we've seen, I think, the months yeah, leading I, up I to mean, that. Yeah, I mean, journalists are pretty remedial. They have finally caught up with us on this issue. Mm. This is the only thing that breaks the deadlock. The, the, one of the other risks that has come out of today um, is that there has been even more talk now of EEA. And when I say risk, I say a risk to the campaigns that want to just stop Brexit. Sure. And we've seen people like Stephen Kinnock and um, uh, Nick Bowles as well on the Conservative side really begin to talk up EEA as, as this other viable alternative that you could go for. So that's another thing that I think we've got to sort of watch out for. But I, I just I don't really see how it's credible either because we're already up against it on the clock in terms of what can actually go back and be negotiated yeah, now. I'm, I'm more sympathetic to those guys and, than you are, but I don't think that they've got a chance. No. Now. Not at this age, because you'd have to go back and read. There's a lot of negotiation you have to do to, to sort out EEA. So that's game over Absol- for that. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, except they, they seem to think that it isn't. Um, mm. And they're, 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 they're doing the rounds trying to whip up support for it from amongst those MPs that definitely don't want this deal, but right, are right. totally persuaded on people's vote. Are they working together yet, those two? I think they must be. Hmm. They're both dreadful. As people, well, no <laughs> this is the the hostage to fortune quickfire round. Um, is there any chance of the deal passing? I, you've got. Look, it's so dangerous to take on receive. You know, when everyone's saying one thing, it's always quite dangerous, right? I just can't see it. Just it seems completely impossible to me. Unless there's some great sweep. I guess what we would say is this: there is a chance if she can survive long enough to get it to the Commons, and the Commons votes it down. There's a chance that rather than the other things that we think might happen, she would go back, do some minor changes to the text, very, very minor changes with the EU. There'd be a lot more market panic. It would be January, February, bring it back, and then the Commons might pass. So I I agree with Ian on that point that... uh, What could feasibly happen is... And I I agree, I absolutely cannot see how this gets through the first time. I think it Mm. will be voted down. I think the, the... Financial markets can then go into total turmoil and nervous Nelly MPs, when it comes back again with minor tweaks, could be spooked sufficiently to say, well, we've got to back this now, especially Mm. as we're totally staring down the barrel of the gun of Article 50 being almost upon us, the end of Article 50 being almost upon us. Mm. So it's how do we fend that off? How do we sort of preempt that and, and and try and get the markets not to panic to sort of uh, cost this stuff in now, or you know, and or telling MPs to hold their nerve that, that that's bound to happen. It doesn't matter. You know, we've seen sterling claps today. FTSE obviously bouncing off the back of that um, uh, because this is all highly predictable, and and they don't need to worry about it. And hold your nerve, hold your nerve. But I agree, it's not it's not going to go through on the first vote. It's it's. Uh... This deal is not going to get through, uh, but a deal that can be claimed to be the same deal might go through, if that makes sense. So, And I think this is where the stories about Michael Gove coming in might play into that. Mm. Um, they might tweak the message really marginally, but change the messenger and hope that someone that is a more leading figure in the, on the, in the Brexit camp can sell it to Parliament better. Um, Except but, but, but Raab definitely is seen as a proper Brexiteer by the Brexiteers. Well, he is a proper Brexiteer, as in the fact that his job was to be Brexit Secretary and then when the deal arrived, he resigned. Well, yes. <laughs> and walked That's away. That's a classic Brexit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I'm not sure Raab is seen as, as someone uh, in very strong or very competent and, or very intelligent, if I'm honest. 
I think he's seen as a true Brexiteer, but I don't think he's seen as someone who would stand up to May and say no and be able to convince her to change on this point or that point, or, as a matter of fact, do that with a commission. I think Gove, for all his flaws, and I'm not a fan, but he is seen by the Conservative side as probably one of their most intelligent mm -hmm. and savvy operators, if not the most intelligent and savvy operator and in this so, sort of situation. Because he is smart. Yeah. Savvy. And so if he goes and comes back and says, this is the best I reckon we can do, I think that has a different weight. I don't think it has the weight with the Labour rebels that they would need to vote with them. I and agree. I don't think on mm. the point of substance w uh, that it can bring the DUP over. You may get a few more ERG, but I still don't think they don't I, have the I agree completely. Yeah. I, it will be touch and go whether it passes at that stage, but certainly better than where it is now, which is no, no hope. hope. Mm. And yeah. We have a giant deal or no deal uh, dial in the corner of the studio where we have to move the needle each day. <laughs> closer to midnight. Closer. <laughs> so so where's the needle standing at the moment? Are we, are we closer to the prospect of no deal? Or do you think that, as you were suggesting now, I suppose, that, that actually people are looking for an excuse to vote for an amended deal, even if it's not substantially that I'm different? not sure the needle has moved. I think what has happened in the last two years... Um, are, is that effectively all other options from the middle to no deal and from the middle to remain have disappeared one by one. So there's, on, there's now, it's now only literally either this or that. And Keir Starmer is doing some great stuff, putting down an amendment that will effectively kill no deal and take it off the table yeah. completely. So I'm more mm. hopeful that no deal is fast disappearing. I mean, there was never any majority in Parliament for it, but I, I think that he is going to be our, our chief ally in making sure Absolutely, that that is Absolutely, but the there table. was the default danger of it, which, yeah. is, which is what people must concentrate on now, to, to take away this, you know, this automatic thing that once we reach the end of this, that's what happens. And unless we do something positive actively to stop it, that's what happens. So people need to realize that. But I, I went back to what I was saying on my first ever Remaniacs. Um, I, I was thinking about it today because I said the, the issue is that there are majorities against everything in the House of Commons, but there's not a majority for anything in the House of Commons. And we're seeing that played out today. That's what's happening, basically. There are plenty of constituencies that are against this, that, or the other, but there's none that is for some way forward. And maybe the opportunities that that constituency will coalesce around another people's vote. Ian, I get the sense that, that I mean, journalists do prefer uh, a leadership um, challenge, something with a lot of personalities bouncing off each other, to all the kind of complicated mechanics of Brexit. So obviously there's, there's a sort of a lot of excitement there as, you know, mm. Will May go and who will replace her. Um, but to look at how that would affect Brexit, what do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to say, but what could you anticipate if she, if she did fall, um, who do you think is most likely to, uh, to take over and what would that mean to, to, to the next stage? 
Well, they'll almost... I mean, I don't know exactly who it would be, but it, they'll almost certainly be worse. Mm. I mean, this is the Tory party, so there's not... I <laughs> it's mean, always you know, worse. Yeah, well, there, yeah there's, uh, there's always worse, but I mean, she, she was at least, you know... The thing I keep on saying about her is you know, she had a poor hand. She played it. She played it fucking badly. Okay, so she, she's inept and she's the author of many of her misfortunes. However, she was trying and she was grappling with the reality of the implications of the choices that she had made. Now, the guys that are attacking her are in. They're, they're just. They're like the lunatic that's taken the office. You know, that gone into the office with with armed weapons and taken everyone hostage. They're basically just screaming the most insane babbling nonsense. And we're the ones who have to live with what they're doing. And they're going to get one of those guys. It would have to be someone who'd who'd voted for Brexit in the first place. It's clearly like one of the preconditions, basically, that someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg would have. Yeah. If it was even going to get past the membership of the Tory party, the membership of the Tory party is super brexit as fuck. Like, they are always going to go with the person who's going to speak toughest yeah. on Brexit. So what I think we would see, if, if there's... I, I, you know, that, that we just saw Theresa May's statement just now, and it was the most fucking pointless waste of our time that we could have imagined. However, I am glad that she's not stepping down, and I hope that she makes it through. Because for the Tories right now to have a leadership contest will just be an arms race of the most insane Brexit position that you can adopt when we don't have any time before the cliff edge as it is. Yep. So I think whoever it is that's selected in this kind of scenario on those kind of rules for that party would be a fucking disaster. Andrea Jenkins has just tweeted, from dancing queen to drama queen, why keep fighting on, Prime Minister? It is truly time to let someone who believes in Brexit and respects the democratic decision of the referendum lead these negotiations. It's truly time to go. I I can't even express (laughs) how angry I am. (laughs) The, The democratic now equals hard magic Brexit. Yeah. Hard magic. Hard magic Brexit. It's both hard, but also solves all the problems that hard Brexit couldn't solve. It's hard magic. It's like a, it's like a real, it's like mm. an angry unicorn but that, but, Brexit. But in many ways, this is, I think this is the danger for Remainers now. This is the narrative we should truly battle. And I don't see everyone battling that. And I think that's really dangerous because I see some Remainers falling into this ERG language that May's incompetence, she, she's brought back a really bad deal implying that there's it's somewhere hers. a better yeah. deal yeah, exactly. to be had yeah. and and actually mm-hmm. you know if you want to fix this this dysfunctional relationship between voters and politicians which has come about because politicians kept promising things that they couldn't deliver mm. you can't promise yet another thing you can't deliver and hope it will all be all right on the day so we need i mean this is brexit today is brexit Broadly speaking, you know, you might tweak it around the edges a little bit, but this chaos is always what. And it's another 10 was years of result. it. Well, the absolutely. only way to stop the chaos is to stop Brexit. Well, I was because otherwise, we've got 10 years of this. The people think it's just like a really hard Sudoku, but it's like a, like a misprinted Sudoku, yes, which I've tried to do. That's exactly well, it. It's just like you literally cannot exactly do it. it. It's, it's, it's not solvable. And so you end up in a, we, we must really be careful not to endorse this idea that it's because of her that the Brexit deal she's bringing back is bad. Mm. She has basically made a shit sandwich as palatable as she could have done in the in the given circumstances. The, the but only, it's still going to be a shit sandwich. The only part of that Whoever I don't agree with. Whoever can add a couple of pickles to it. The only part of that I don't agree with is is really the free movement European Court of Justice stuff. So as she was up there today, that was what she pointed out. And the truth is that the scenario that she's got 
is trying to hug close because of Ireland, but trying to pull away because of free movement. Yeah, yeah. And if that decision right at the beginning had been different, you, I think you could come up with something that actually would have had more of a chance to get Remainers on board. You would say, look, we don't have that much control here. But at least I can demonstrate to you that economically we're going to maintain yeah. our quality of life. Whereas now you haven't got the control. You don't have the trade. You've managed to take a trade off between control and trade and go, you're not going to get either, either. of them. Yeah. So, I mean, so she, but she has been spectacularly shit is, in her own right. But arguably this is rooted in something that was real in the referendum debate in that they promised people absolute control of their borders without really facing the possibility that one of those borders you're promising absolute control over can't be there. Mm. So so it it is a result of those I understand why she came to that conclusion, but it it was the wrong thing for her to do. And and it leads us to where we are now. I mean, it was the wrong thing tactically for her to do in any case to set out all those red red lines right at the beginning. That was an insane thing to do. It was insane to trigger Article 50 before she had done any preparatory work, any risk assessment, Mm. (laughs) any work on these technologies on the border. You know, Article 50 is literally the only little cog of this process that the UK had absolute control over. It was the one trump card that we could spend the next two years getting all our ducks in a row and when we were ready and when there was stability and when everything was ready to go, trigger Article 50. And she triggered it, really, and then called an election. Uh, You know, of course she has made huge strategic mistakes. But what I'm trying to say is that given where we are, there isn't a better... Hard Brexit to be had. Mm-hmm. Hard Brexit was always going to be rubbish. It was always going to leave this country weaker. And we mustn't fall into the narrative that some, you know, amazing leader out there can deliver a better Brexit. You know, we have Corbyn today promising to keep us in the customs union while being free to negotiate trade trade deals and, uh, you know, st- give us all the benefits of the single market while stopping freedom of movement. I'm sorry, but that's another lie. That is another false promise. That's that is something that Brexit. we know the EU will not accept. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, you can't, um, yeah, you, you just can't keep promising. You, you can't keep saying we respect your decision. We respect your decision, uh, you know, voting for something that, cannot be delivered, and therefore we will try to deliver it. Someone has to be honest enough to stand up and say at some point, I'm sorry you were lied to. This thing is undeliverable. Obviously, we would like to see the director's cut of the five-hour cabinet meeting, (laughs) (laughs) which involved much shouting. And fewer resignations than I was expecting. Actually, it was like just the... Am I right? It was just the three or...? Well, there's been seven so today. Seven yeah, there's, been, there's been a bunch of them. It's just that most of them are junior ministerial things you will never have heard of. Oh, the junior ones. But it was like the mm. big ones are... It's just two on big. Robin McVeigh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're expecting quite a bit more. Yeah. Well, but we don't know when. I mean, Penny Morden has before. just said she's going in to see the Prime Minister, so we can expect okay. that. Okay, so I she's mean, probably done by the time that we but, <laughs> that this comes <laughs> out. Right, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that tweet, was that not Ledsam resigning? That... I mean that. I think tweet. Led, no, Ledsom. I, the tweet I read out was Andrew Jenkins. Oh, was it Jenkins? Yeah. Okay. Ledsom's actually firm, weirdly oh, right. enough. She's sticking right, around. Right, right, right. Mm. 
So great! I want Grayling. I mean, if we're going to have resignations, at least yeah, yeah. I can have one nice thing in this world, and that's that Chris Grayling can that's fuck true. off. That's true. That's true. I have to say, Esther McVeigh going is the closest I've come to feeling like there is a Brexit. And dividend. it was great in her, in her letter <laughs> when she goes, "I'm proud of the work I've done." It's like, are you? Are you? Are you really? really? Think about it. You've been there like four weeks, babe. Grayling is going to resign. He's just running a bit late. <laughs> Good Good but is is the, is this one of those? I mean, the Tory Party is is. Is a kind of, in many ways, an unkillable cockroach. Um, I mean, how kind of seriously? How, but how seriously wounded is this? I mean, it seems like a party in in meltdown, a party incapable of government, and yet it has seemed like that in the past. And then it just sort of keeps on. And I think Labour's obvious thing is just like, well, there must be an election. It's like, well, then there's no mechanism for, for that. there must be an election where you basically there's a kind of, you know fucking dial I love dials and it just hits a certain level of, uh, of sort of incompetence yeah. and psychodrama and it's like ring election it's like no they could just they could just keep on but I just wonder how what's your expectation of like how quickly they can sort of uh, they will sort of heal this or are we already dealing with like a thoroughly dysfunctional government well, we've talked many times in this podcast about the need for a realignment of politics in the UK, and it's coming, and it's happening, and it's happening whether the parties keep up with it or not, and it's now beginning to absolutely play itself out. Um, I've bored us all before about our electoral system being to blame for so much of that. It keeps these broad churches together because they cannot survive uh, on a, under a first-past-the-post system um, as smaller units. But... Goodness knows. It, Theresa May is, we used to say she was just trying to get through the next 24 hours. She is now just trying to get through the next 12. Mm. When that shortens, goodness knows. Uh, there are real talks going on of this centrist party being set up. It hasn't got a cat's chance in hell of being successful at the moment. It may well do later. Um, there are all sorts of different caucuses and groups and very weird unholy alliances happening because of the weirdness of Brexit and yeah. the, the unachievability of Brexit. Well, didn't I mean, Anna Soubry was talking about a national unity government, which is a bit Indeed. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think John McDonnell was also talking about a minority government. And I don't know whether you know, he, he meant any kind of well, national unity. Because, you know, there's that thing in, the, in the, the sort of the Fixed Terms Parliament Act where there's no confidence. You've actually got a couple of weeks as the opposition parties to try and cobble something together without an election. And it seemed to me that he was sort of yeah. drifting towards preferring that rather than... And, of an course, election. you only need a simple majority to overturn mm. the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which requires a two-thirds majority to mm -hmm. vote for a general election. So that's, you know, also a potential mechanism should they think that they can get... Oh, to just get rid of yeah, the yeah. act. Yeah, so just itself. to get rid of the act, you mm. just need a you know, 51%. Yeah. I mean, at some point, someone's got to get rid of that tax. That's a bit of an oversight. Thanks, <laughs> Nick Clegg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, really, yes, that again. was bad work. And I and I kind of ignored that. When it came out, there's lots of con decent constitutional people who are kicking up a bunch of a, fuss, a lot of fuss about it. And I remember constantly thinking, I don't know, I'm not so comfortable with the way the Prime Minister just gets to call elections whenever it's most suitable for them. And I see why people want to change this. And now, turns out, no, those constitutional guys were right. And it's an yeah. absolute shit show, that piece I of agree. legislation. Ian, you've actually read the deal, unlike some of the ministers who resigned. I haven't, actually. Have you not? No, I was going to. I woke up this morning. I was out for dinner yesterday and it started coming out and I was like, no, fuck it. I want to enjoy my dinner. And so I had my dinner and then I woke up this morning. I thought I'm going to read this. And I got to like page 16 and then Dominic Raab resigned. And I thought, <laughs> eh, I might just wait and see whether I need to read this later on. But, I, but I've, so I've now read the relevant sections. <laughs> page than you, page the 40, bit. another one resigned. Page 85, no, another one. You've read, you've read, you've read the highlights. <laughs> tell, tell me what's actually in the deal. 
So what's interesting is that the backstop thing did get split in two. Um, on the one hand, you have the whole of the UK customs, par- customs partnership, membership, whatever you want. And then you have the Northern Ireland bit, which has all of that, but also single market for good stuff. That's interesting for a couple of reasons, right? The first one is the EU did split services and goods in the single market. They were willing to do it in that one special case, which is in order to make sure that the, the border in Ireland stayed open. But that has quite severe implications. The first implication is there will still be checks in the RSC. So exactly the thing that Theresa May swore that no prime minister could ever abide is exactly what took place. You're going to have checks for animal produce. You're going to have other kind of sort of um, advance notices that you need to give them barcode scanning on chips. So there will be a change there. That What Britain would do, and it says this explicitly in the document, is say, we will unilaterally stay with all of the single market goods regulations to make sure that we can minimise these things. It doesn't really make any difference to the EU if you say you're going to do something unilaterally. Legally, you're in the same position. But that's what you're going to do to try and minimise the troubles there. However, a future government may very well say, you know what, actually, no, we're going to start changing our laws. Or they might say, well, you know, we can actually manage to get a trade deal with the US, even if we don't change our tariffs, as long as we start reducing our regulations. So there are ways that things would start to drift apart. There was more than enough there for the DUP to look at it and think, no, mate, not so much. When it came to the customs union stuff that the UK that covers us for the whole country, that was pretty fucking damning, frankly, because it was skeletal in terms of its advantages. It was as bare bones as you can get, but it was extremely demanding in terms of the things that it laid on the UK. So it asked for basically the level playing field stuff. So you'd sign up to state aid, you sign up to environmental laws, you sign up to workers' rights laws, you sign up to the tax stuff. Maximum give, minimal take. That was how that seemed to operate. And then when you looked at the reality of what it would imply, you got the situation where Let's say the Turkey, basically what she's come up with is the Turkey deal, which is something that not many people mentioned before because Mm -hmm. nobody fucking wanted it. And what that involves is when the EU does a trade deal with someone else, they do it as the EU for EU member states. So we do not get access to that market, but that market does get access to ours because we would be in the customs union, which is in the EU's gift to give. So afterwards, we can try and do a trade deal. But what's the fucking point? Because we've given them everything that there is to give in the first place. We've lost all of our leverage. So you look at it as a proposal. The backstop was an absolute horror story. And the only thing in there that gave me any kind of encouragement was the fact that just before that happened, you would also have the choice of extending transition. And in a comedy festival, it just went, oh, and you can extend it just once, but to the year 20XX. Oh, I see. So basically, you know, at any point in the next century. (laughs) One of the first bits that we looked at was the um, outline political declaration. And that's the bit that is about our future relationship. And it was genuinely shocking. Like, it was a really bad copy-paste job. There were words missing. There were incomplete sentences. Hmm. Like it, it literally says next to nothing, which, of course, totally leaves it open to abuse by any kind of ERG kind of hijacker later down the line. So it was both pleasingly awful that it can't actually mean anything, but also slightly concerning that later down the line, somebody with a more egregious agenda could could hijack it. But it, that, that bit's worth listeners going and having a little look at just to see how woefully dreadful it was. And that's the bit that they've now got to hammer out uh, over over time. It's funny, if you, if you look at it as a, as a document and you look at it from a Remain point of view, you think it does look like the springboard towards a quite close alignment in the future, probably. 
That's that's sort of how it comes across. It kind of makes the customs union look like your base level sort of achievement, and you go up from there. Yeah. That would be the presumption. But it doesn't offer you anywhere near the kind of degree of confidence of that happening as someone, if you like Remain, if you like soft Brexit, to think that you would ever take the risk of throwing your weight behind it rather than the rather than see if you can secure a referendum that would turn the whole thing around yeah. instead. And of course, to the people that just want to be completely detached from the EU, it quite plainly is going to keep you within that operating system until the end of time. It's not a deal that it's not one of those deals that's going to lure Remainers away from the people's vote option and go, no oh, way. you know, bird in the hand. Be- because, the, because the thing is, it, it could also be the springboard to this sort of permanent purgatory that, you know, mm-hmm. is the absolute nightmare of the Brexit side. Yeah. And should be um, for us as well. This is terrible. I mean, you look at the EU, of course, love that shit. Well, I You've mean, opened up all of your, yeah. your, yourself to them, but then not to sure, you. Sure. As, as not being necessarily one homogenous total because you know for me as an eu 27 uh, citizen in the uk it it does mean that my rights are guaranteed rather than me yes, falling into a legal vacuum so the stakes are slightly different yes. for someone in in my position and for i think british people who live on the continent yeah thanks for saying that. that's a good point so that was our special uh podcast to reflect today that one unidentified Tory source described as a phantasmagorical goat fuck of the worst possible kind, <laughs> which suggests that he has kinds of phantasmagorical goat fuck that he prefers. Loving ones. Loving <laughs> Consenting. Consensual. Consensual, consensual goat fucking. He'd have to like, no wonder he's unidentified. <laughs> um, we'll see you again in about half an hour. <laughs> Bye. Bye.